But in most cases, you should be the visionary. You should be the one meeting with customers. You should be the one, you know, setting the tone for the ship that's sailing. And you should be able to operationalize and delegate the rest of it, of everything as, as quickly as you can so that you can scale. And it takes automation to do that. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky, and thank you so very much for joining us on the show today. In fact, on today's episode of the show, I have the pleasure of spending time with author, speaker, coach, and professor of entrepreneurship, and the managing partner at Midcourse Advisors, Mr. Andy Goldstrom. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you for having me, Rick. Great to be here. Absolutely, my pleasure. Now, Andy and I were talking about, uh, you know, I guess somewhat of the tumultuous times we're going through globally. We're, we're experiencing very much the same thing uh, worldwide, and we're going to be look at, looking, looking at that situation through, I guess, somewhat of a different lens today, Andy. But um, before we do that, it is uh, customary, if you like, to uh, learn a little bit more about you, where you're located, and what you like to do uh, when you're relaxing, if there is such a thing. <laughs> uh, well, I try to tell a story as opposed to a resume, and um, so I'm happy to share a little bit of that background. And if I miss anything or forget about uh, forget about what I like to do to relax, please correct <laughs> I'll, me. I'll remind you. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, I had a background that shaped most of my uh, adult life, and and I was uh, um, my parents divorced when I was very young mm -hmm. and I lived with my mother and we didn't have a lot of money and it required me to become very independent very early. So I've always worked and I couldn't rely on others and I had to become very adaptable. So I was one of those people who when others were going out and going to parties when I was in high school and all things, I was hustling. I was learning early how to be accountable and responsible and I was mowing lawns, selling baseball cards, being a busboy and being a waiter. And so, um, you know, I, I went to undergraduate, went to college and, and also uh, uh, got my MBA and, and both of those I either paid on my own or got scholarships to pay for it. And then uh, I guess it's no surprise, even though I went to a corporate job out of graduate school, it wasn't the best fit for me. I was kind of a mover and a shaker and somebody who could get things done. And, and so I would be somebody who could get things done at speed. And so, um, I joined a startup company not long after that. And, uh, and literally it was the best experience of my life at a young age and, uh, being a partner and a founder of the company, uh, it grew to Inc 500 status, um, in, a short period of time because we had a good market fit and good execution and good sales. And uh, we sold the company. And then I became um, the president of another company that I took over for the founder that became an Inc 500 company. Mm -hmm. And we sold that one as well. Uh, and then I opened my own shop. So I've had a company called Midcourse Advisors, where I just realized that Rather, than, you know, I learned a lot 
about what not to do, not just what to do yeah. in in growing those two Inc. 500 companies. And uh, and so I, I help coach uh, businesses now. And, and the reason it's so important uh, is, is um, you know, when I, in my first Inc. 500 company, which was about 20 years ago already. Um, time flies when we're having fun, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, time flies. <laughs> it, it, if you were going to start a technology company, the cost of technology would have been about a million U.S. dollars. And that is, you know, between the cost of the hardware, the cost of the software, the cost of the support. But with Moore's Law, you know, the, 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 the cost of technology and the speed of technology just increases so rapidly. It doubles every two years. Mm-hmm. Now, now the ability to roll something out is is um, a tenth of that. And so a lot more people have entered the marketplace on, you know, with online opportunities and, and uh, you know, and you can use, you know, use Stripe and use Amazon and use all these different things, but that doesn't mean they know how to run a business. That just means the barriers to entry are lower. And so I've been in business to help people avoid some of the mistakes that I've made just because I've been there and figured that out and put together processes and, and things that really work. You know, from an enjoyment standpoint, I like to compete <laughs> against <laughs> myself and <laughs> against others. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I do, uh, just as an aside, is I, I do some stand-up comedy, believe it or not. Fantastic. Yeah, so it, it, it forces me to have to write really precisely not like I haven't done thousands of proposals, but it, 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 <laughs> every word counts and the delivery counts. And so it, so the whole process is really interesting. And then getting up in front of a couple hundred people gets me out of my comfort zone. And it also, you know, reminds me that, you know, there's a lot of serious stuff going on in the world, especially right now. But if you, you know, but you can't take life too, too seriously every mm-hmm. moment or, mm-hmm. or you won't be able to move forward. This is wonderful. Thank you so very much, Andy, for sharing uh, what you were sharing with the the My Future Business audience. Now, you talked about starting off very early uh, in your entrepreneurial journey, and that's really telling for me because it sets the scene, um, I think, for what you become as an individual uh, in business. Were you, uh, was this a a good time for you in terms of um, developing your self-awareness and your, uh, I guess, your emotional intelligence? Well, it forced me to. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, t- I teach a one class of entrepreneurship at a u- major university here in Atlanta. And, and what I try and do is help the kids understand that, you know, what it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur and to be self-aware. And part of what self-awareness is, is understanding where your strengths are. And a lot of that is shaped by your education your interests, your passions, what your parents have done that have influenced you, and what problems you can identify that you can solve. When you're starting a new company, a lot of people, you know, think of great ideas, but they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily solving a problem or have a passion around them. I I had a client who, who wanted to change careers and wanted to become a dentist. And I said, you know, why, why do you want to become a dentist? And he said, because being a dentist is a good profession. And I said, that's not really a good reason to become a dentist. And, and what I shared with him was I had another client who became a dentist. And the reason she became a dentist was because 
she had crooked teeth when she was a kid and they couldn't afford braces. So she was passionate about making sure everybody wasn't in the same position that she was. That's the reason to start a business, you know, assuming you can find the appropriate demand and, and, and all the rest. And so you, you learn how to be self-aware and I learned based upon my circumstances how to be, you know, how to be self-aware and I had to learn some skills and, and be able to apply them early on in terms of, you know, I'm not a born salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I'm more of an operator and get your fingernails dirty kind of guy. And yeah. I had to learn how to sell and, uh, and, and I'll never be the, you know, I'm, I'm a bald average looking guy. I've, I've never, you know, <laughs> I'm not the, I'm not a salesman who's, who's going to win by, by impressing, you know, at the, at the, at the doorstep. <laughs> and I'm never the most articulate guy, but what I do is I earn, I work hard. I work smart. I earn trust. You know, I, I try and help people in that way. Well, to be a uh, Inc. 500 times two executive doesn't happen by accident. And for everybody's on the show today, um, you know, prick the ears up and, and listen in because we're just about to take a deep dive into uh, Andy's Grow Like a Pro book. We've already started that journey, um, which I thank you so very much for. Um, now, on today's show, I really want to focus on um, helping entrepreneurs and business owners, Andy, work through these turbulent times. We're going through some rough times globally. And I, I wonder, is it a good time to start a business? Are there opportunities abound? What is your take on, I guess, the world in terms of business at the moment? There's always a good time to uh, start a business as long as you do it right and as long as there's change going on. So if there's if everything's just status quo, Mm -hmm. and you have nothing to disrupt or to add value to, then it's hard. But there's so much change going on. It's just a matter of how you adapt to it. And so, you know, there are companies that are, you know, making masks instead of socks. There are companies that are, you know, doing takeout instead of sit-down restaurants. There are companies that are, you know, uh, doing all kinds of things. You know, companies like Uber came out you know, in the last, in the, in the financial meltdown, just by, you know, having, by innovating. And so, um, so, yeah, um, you know, the problem is, is that people get scared yeah. either to start a business or to grow a bit or to invest in a business now because of the uncertainty. And that's so, certainly understandable. Um, you're trying to manage your risk, but the analogy that I like to use often is, um, I have two young adult daughters and I taught them both how to drive. And when I did, they clutched the wheel really hard, were really tense, and were just looking out past the the hood of the car, not any further, not an inch further. Mm -hmm. And so I acknowledged their situation and said, you know, I was in your shoes too and I understand what you're feeling. You know, you're inexperienced. You've never done this before. It's scary, but you really have to loosen up a little bit and you have to look down the road a little bit to anticipate what's coming ahead ahead. Because if you're just looking out over the edge of the hood, you're going to hit something pretty quickly. So business is a lot like that. You know, you have to be able to start something today if, if you can find the right thing. And I can describe that process because there's a process to that. And mm-hmm. then, it, and then, and then, if you want to grow your business, it's the same thing. It's just a matter of making sure that you're making the adjustments now, and and frankly, 
people don't have a choice because what's going to happen is others are making adjustments. And if you don't make the adjustment, given the way the world is changing, you're going to be out of business even if you even if you can sustain yourself in the short term. Yes, definitely. You're going to be left behind, aren't you, if you don't uh, identify and adapt fairly rapidly. Now, I often hear people say, you know what, how can I start a business? I don't have a problem to solve. It strikes me as something that, you know, could stop a, an entrepreneur at the starting gate. What are some of the, I guess, the practical steps that you share with your students and, and, and those you work with to help them move past these sorts of questions? If you can't find a problem to solve in your life, you're not thinking broadly enough or you're living in a bubble because there's got to be something in your life that you're consuming or seeing right now that you say, you know what, this experience isn't that great or I wish this could be better and then or, or see it through somebody else's experience and then decide if that's something, you know, that you want to help solve. And the key thing is, you know, it could, it could be anything. It could be the services that, you know, the, the landscaping services that take care of your lawn in the area or, you know, any kind of service-based business where that you're encountering something where you say, you know, the, the options out there just aren't that great. So, and, and what they call that is, you, you've probably heard the term, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are, it's, it's white space. It's, it's the area where that's underserved or could be served better, that you can find your place. A lot of people will build it and then hope people will buy it. Uh, and what you really need to do is you need to be able to validate through a couple of different mechanisms to make sure that the demand is there rather than just investing in it. So what you do is you, you, you create something called a minimum viable product, which is, you know, whatever the minimum thing is to be able to demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. And then you can, then what you need to do is you can go online, you can go to Google. There, there are many different other tools out there where you can actually do some secondary research, which is research where you're not talking to prospective customers, but you're actually doing research based upon people who are in that, you know, in that industry to see if there's demand in that industry. Yeah. You want other comp, uh, other competitors there. And then if, and then what you, and then you can do primary research, which is actually talking to a, a number of prospective customers who actually can validate the demand, give you some feedback and allow you to adjust as you build out, build out what you're doing. What are some of the things we need to consider when we're doing our research? Are we talking about going onto the likes of Reddit or, you know, where do we go to find, I guess, this audience that we're seeking? Is it LinkedIn? Where would we go? There are different research tools. You can go to a local university. They have lots of tools. There, there are um, free public sources that will help you uncover um, information about population trends, you know, different industrial development, local and regional development. Mm -hmm. You can you can join a trade organization or a chamber of commerce to get that kind of data. Local media ma maintains a wealth of demographic information as well, um, and you can go to places like PricewaterhouseCoopers or just Google itself to be able to look up some of the some of this uh, individual data. And there are other subscription services that are out there to provide market research data. I have, you know, we'll talk about my book, but there's a list of different places you can go. 
that are that are in my book relating to those things to to actually what type of research you want to do and how you do it and where you go how long did it take you to well when did you realize you were going to compile this wonderful book and how long did it actually take you to put together once you once you'd made that decision uh i'm 55 years old it took me 55 years because <laughs> it's my first book honestly it it took it probably took a total of two years. It's mm -hmm. called Grow Like a Pro. It's available on Amazon. And the reason I did it was not to be a bestseller on Amazon, though I'd like to sell some books for sure. But the idea was every time I had an engagement, I was pulling from a library of tools that I had developed. And I wanted a way to package them better so I could deliver them more efficiently into more people. And so it started out with one premise dealt just on leadership, but then I realized that there are other components that are important relating, you know, that, that, so I developed other, other aspects to it. So it's a holistic kind of book. Mm -hmm. It focuses on identifying a problem, targeting the right customer, launching profitably, managing the sales process, leading the right team, developing the right partnerships, managing your finances, operating efficiently, tracking performance, and developing an exit plan. Those are the, the, the key topics. And, and, and uh, I'm proud of it because it's a really actionable book. There are links in the book where you can actually take templates. It's, it's very example-driven mm -hmm. and, and uh, because I'm experienced and have done research. So it's got a lot of my own and also uh, research that I have you know, on other companies to help learn. And there, there are links where you can go and download templates and apply exactly what you read to your own company on the spot. You, you talked about, um, Andy, before um, helping people. That's one side of the equation. You know, they've got a problem. You're there to help them to work through it. You also talked about this, uh, you know, we'd all like to make money from whatever it is that we're involved in in case, uh, you know, it might be a book or whatever our business is. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, no, I'm only here to help. And other people say, well, I'm only here to make money. Is there, should there be a balance between um, helping people and making money? Well, there is a balance. And, and you know, when, when you're selling and serving, you have to certainly know what motivates others in order to sell and service well. Mm -hmm. For me personally, um, you know, I've made a fair share of money because I sold two companies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not, so I'm not worried about, I have no debt. I own my house. I'm yeah. not extravagant by any stretch. But based upon my upbringing, I like being able to apply myself and have an impact. And one of the reasons I like being a service provider is I find it very interesting looking at a lot of different types of businesses and in different industries mm -hmm. that are service related and seeing the patterns and the commonality. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of these a lot of business leaders, you know, whether they're really experienced or not, who get stuck from growing their business, they know their business better than anybody else. They know it better than, certainly better than I do. And they know the answers. They just don't have, they're just stuck in the weeds working every day, putting out fires and they, they can't facilitate a different solution. And, uh, and so uh, one of the things that I try and employ with my clients is something called the four strategic shifts. And it's about, there are four things. One is about winning today. So it's stabilizing your business more effectively now to set the foundation for massive future growth. So winning today is, is cashing in. It's getting cash in the door quickly with existing clients who know you already 
that you can upsell or downsell or cross-sell. It's controlling costs that are directly relating to your revenue generation, and it's connecting with other people currently. Uh, and connecting with other people is kind of interesting because you can connect with people in different ways that you couldn't ever before. Mm. Like I call somebody that you can see their pets, you can see their house, you can see their <laughs> wife or husband. <laughs> yep. And, and you get to know them a little bit better. And so if you can find a need there, it, it helps you win today. The second thing is called thinking different. And so it's envisioning what your company could be if it had no resource or financial or timeline restrictions. Um, and that's kind of the fun part of, of doing this work. So, and, and it's how people can adapt. And I work with companies uh, to, to do that. Then it's achieving the disruptive growth. It's how do you prioritize and strategize those opportunities and then execute them in an effective way. And then the fourth shift is gaining high-end independence. It's how do you make the business not reliant on you? How do you systematize and, and automate? And how do you duplicate yourself so that you have a management team uh, that can help you? And what support do you need in order to have a coach or somebody like myself to hold you accountable? The way I talk about these things with clients is you have to think about your business as if you're an investor in your business as opposed to just an operator. And an investor looks at what's your pipeline, meaning what is your sales incoming potential sales look like? What does your management team look like? What do your financials look like? What's, un what's unique about your, your value proposition that you can offer? Mm -hmm. um, it's things like that, that, that people care about. And so if you, you know, whether you want to, sell the business at some point or hand it to your kids or sell it to your, you know, give it to your partners or do whatever. You should always be thinking of that. And that should always be a filter by which when you make an investment, you should think, is that actually an investment that's going to help my leadership team get better? Is it going to help our P&L? Is it going to differentiate our product? And one, one other it, um, thing that I forgot to mention is that they, they look at the diversity of your client base. So if you only have one client, the risk of somebody investing in you is probably less than if you have, you know, 10 clients that make up the same amount of revenue because you're a little bit more diverse than what you have. I, I know you've talked about a little bit, you touched on um, automation and operation. Um, so where does technology come into this triangle, if you like? Does, is technology going to um, be a big player in the future? Um, well, it's a big player right now. When I talked about gaining high-end independence, I talked about systematizing. So it's definitely using automation. I think what's happened right now is companies wanted to collaborate more online, but they were so used to being in front of you, in front of people, yeah. because it offered them more control. And what's happened is this whole pandemic has forced people to have to use online tools. And so all this automation to be able to, to get work done has changed rapidly by force, by something that wasn't controllable. And, you know, that's, I guess, one of the few good things that's come out of all this. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are a lot of other automation tools. In order to grow, you know, scaling is being able to sell and serve at a lesser cost for each new customer. If you can look at the tasks that are repeatable, that you can delegate and automate, those are things that are, are, are truly valuable and will allow you to scale. And there's so many tools, CRM tools to be able to manage your sales pipeline and also your customer base, tools that you can 
collaborate more, uh, things like called like monday.com and mm -hmm. Slack and mm -hmm. Rike and, you know, and then there are ERP tools, which are larger tools that can integrate different back office functions that are that that really help. And the key thing is, is um, keeping moving forward. So there's having each person be committed and being part of their highest and best use. So if you're the leader and you're spending a lot of time in the weeds, then you're not, you know, then you're not providing the level of impact that you can at that time in the organization, unless it's something that really needs attention because it's urgent and critical to the business. But in most cases, you should be the visionary. You should be the one meeting with customers. You should be the one, you know, setting the tone for the, for the ship that's sailing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you should be able to operationalize and delegate the rest of it, of everything as, as quickly as you can. Um, so that so that you can scale and it takes automation to do that now if you're just somebody who has one maybe two possibly three people you're only a small business what where is the i guess the largest payback for somebody a business of that size what should they be focusing on studies have been done that demonstrate that communication channels change mm -hmm. once you get from three people to about eight to about 50, to about 250, to about 1,000, to about 50,000, and then beyond. Those are kind of milestone numbers because what happens is when you're at three people, generally these are people who know everything that's going on every day, right? So yeah. you're sitting around a table or you're not, or, you know, or you're checking in and you're able to communicate, you're able to know, you're able to manage the risk. And then what happens is, some owners can't get by, some founders can't get by it where they have to actually leverage people and trust people as they start growing. And what happens is you have to have certain communication protocols, you have to have certain measurement, you have to have certain reward systems. And great leaders, you know, if somebody asked me, what is a great leader? A great leader is someone who gets others to act like owners. So the reason my first Inc. 500 company became a, a, a became so successful is because um, the 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 senior people wouldn't ask anything of anybody else that they wouldn't do themselves. That's from you know taking out the garbage to go going and buying ink toner to you know sleeping on a on the floor in a hotel to save a couple bucks, um, and everybody acted you know even though not everybody had the same reward because of different risks and what they brought to the table, everybody acted like an owner and that just made a huge difference. And as you're growing, if you're able to scale your business in such a way that you can actually set vision and goals from the top, build a plan from the bottom up, leverage automation to execute as we've talked about, yeah. measure transparently so everybody knows what their contribution contributes to the whole reward for both what they're doing and how they're doing it. Meaning if they're knocking it out of the park, but they're not a team player who's really helping achieve what the company needs to achieve, the how and the what are both important. Mm -hmm. And then you need to support them and then you need to leave them alone. And it's one of the things that's important is giving them the rope to do the job. And uh, it's interesting, you know, because Nowadays, people are working a lot more remotely, and and that could be a long-term permanent kind of thing where people have the op, you know, the, with the technology, people can work more remotely. I observed a situation where 
you know, someone was who was the president of a company was tracking a uh, another senior person and basically treating him like an hourly person in terms of when he checked in, when he checked out, how he organized his work, as opposed to managing to the results. You know, if you want, you know, this is what we expect. Have some agreement. Make sure that the support and they have the skills and they have the you know the resources and the desire to achieve it, and then let them go get it. And when they go get it, it will not have drained the resources um, as much, and it will and it will empower them, and they'll be rewarded for it, and your company will scale. The other thing is those people end up being closest to the customer as your customer as your customer base grows and your company grows so mm-hmm. they're the ones who are going to continue to push the innovation upwards yeah because they're going to see things because you've empowered them just want to switch switch gears a little bit and and talk about personal development in terms of uh, i'm that leader of that business how important is it for you to be i guess a, a lifelong learner in business incredibly important do you have some um, some things that you do today? Do you still study? I read a ton. I um, I learn from all my engagements. Mm-hmm. I follow trends, uh, especially uh, because they they change the impact of what we're doing. And one of the reasons I teach at the university level is because I want to understand what younger people are thinking and how they're purchasing or consuming services and products and, 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 and are thinking differently than I did uh, when I first came out of school. What do you notice the difference today, though? Do you see that they are majorly different or do you think we're pretty much as we've always been? Yeah, I th- I, you know, I think there's a lot that's been written about how millennials are impatient and will skip jobs, you know, if they don't like something that's going on and that they absorb information quickly and that they want to have an impact. I think at the end of the day, people just want to be treated like people. They want to have a path to grow. They want to feel like they have an impact. They want to feel like they have a voice and they want to be rewarded properly. And I think the difference nowadays is just the amount of information to sift through at the speed of which you have to do it. Mm -hmm is is both a blessing and a curse and so you know you have to be able to discern the right information that applies to what you're trying to achieve and just apply those principles i look at all of the elements that you've you've got about 15 key uh, core areas within your book um, inherent with all of that is the quality of customer focus and, and service delivery um, I guess this is this really fits in nicely with measurement and adjustment and improvement. Um, should everybody be focusing on um, how that they can improve their business from day to day? Maybe not day to day, but it needs to be a regular diet. Mm-hmm. It needs mm-hmm. to be part of your um, the way that you operate, and it's a circle. I was trained in Six Sigma. GE yep. was one of my clients early in my career, so. There's a there's a there's a something called DMAIC, which is um, which is a, an acronym that allows you basically to look at the process and analyze it and provide adjustments and then go back in the circle and do it again. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to continue to adjust because your customers' needs continually change and other factors continually change and. I mentioned industry trends. Uh, other than what's going on with COVID, there were three big industry trends that really impact businesses that you you kind of have to run a filter through them as you're as you're approaching it. And and 
one of them is is technology i think i mentioned that earlier the 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 adaptation and use of technology and the cost of technology yes um so uh, is is just so rapid and that's eminent in just about any you know any business any home any anything and what that means is it's one of the areas that drives um drives demand which means jobs will be driven there and opportunity will be, will be driven there um, the second thing is demographics. You have a, a rat going through a snake right now. And what that means is is there are millennials who are in the front side of the business who are going to be, by 2025, 40% of the business labor force. And you've got baby boomers who are retiring now. So those are two big pockets where people on the front end, the millennials, want more entertainment, more opportunities for things to do. There's a movement back to the city where people are living in the cities more. That may, may be in flux and changing based upon the COVID thing, but that was something and being be able to have an impact. So it's catering to what millennials want and how they want to consume. And then for the seniors, they, they you need more financial planning. You need more senior living facilities. You need more health care. You need more knee replacements. So those are areas where there's demand and need for jobs, and that's a trend that affects different businesses as well. Um, the one last thing I'd love to touch on before I uh, talk about how people can find your wonderful book is people get into business, but they don't often think about getting out of business. Yeah. Um, so developing an exit plan, I mentioned that a little, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's frankly just having a view and working your way backwards. So instead of just saying, I want to sell more or I want to make $100,000 this year, it's actually taking a view of what your company looks like from an investor standpoint. So that's, you know, that's actually having the team, the resources, the processes, the business durability to set yourself up for that exit. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of clients who, you know, or calls that will, you know, that I get where they say, well, I'd like to sell the business in six months. And it could be something that happened to them. They, you know, it was a family business and they had a disagreement or business isn't as good. And so they want to capitalize while they can or, you know, or some other reason. And I, I try and play part businessman, part psychologist, because what I say to them is, OK, what are you going to do after you sell? And they're like, uh, I don't know, I'll play some golf at, at some point, maybe. And what I tell them is you've been fulfilled through your business throughout your career doing different things, you're not going to be fulfilled if you don't have a plan beyond what you're going to do. And then, and then, and you need to think about that. Then you need to think about what kind of impact do you want to have? Do you want, where do you want your money to go when you exit? Do you mm -hmm. want to be part of a nonprofit? Do you want to have a family trust? What kind of lifestyle do you want to live? And then you back into, okay, what are the things that make your business the most valuable that they can be? And it includes that list that I just rattled off. And, yeah. then, and, then, and then you back into it and say, okay, what does it take to achieve those things? Well, I don't have a robust pipeline right now, but our, our business is flat, but it's stable. Okay, well, what do we need to do to get that pipeline more robust? Well, we have a great team, but a lot of the decision-making is just amongst two people. Well, what do we need to do to actually spread out some of that wealth of talent and wealth of decision-making so you have you know, a better opportunity for, for the company to scale with the decision-making. My company is called Mid-Course Advisors because 
it's a rocket analogy. When you when you start the flight of a of a rocket, it's the launch. The mid course is about eighty percent of the life of a company, and then there's the descent. And so all the things that you need to do to increase the value of the company before the exit need to occur during the mid course. And so I help companies do that. And you know, if it needs to be done in six months, it's uncomfortable, but um, yeah, and you have to compromise in some areas, but mm-hmm. you should always, I think you should always, you know, have the end in mind as best you can. You make adjustments along the way, and that's frankly what allows you to achieve your goals. If you're, it's again, it's looking beyond the hood. This has been such a great call, Andy. Now, um, one of the two of the most important things I'd like to touch on is when people want to uh, learn more about mid-course advisors, where are they going to go and where can they find this book? And thanks for asking. And this has been a pleasure. You ask great questions and and, uh, I thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. My website is midcourseadvisors.com and it's got access to all my services, all my thought leadership, the book itself. And you can also, you, there's a link to the book. You can also find the book on Amazon in, in ebook form or in print copy. It's called Grow Like a Pro. If people want to get any of the tools that I kind of referenced throughout our conversation, um, they can fill out a contact form on my website and just show some interest in what they want. And I, I'll, I'll give them a link to that. Uh, this has uh, been one of those calls, Andy, where there's been just so much great content on the show today. And I'd just like to say in closing, thank you so very much for spending some time with me on the My Future Business Show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.